Okay. Um, so this is the Rebel Teacher Podcast. Uh, it's episode two. If you saw the first episode, I basically um, read my article about the Rebel Teacher Network and what the Rebel Teacher philosophy is. And today I'm with Lee. And this uh, second episode will just be discussing the first episode and the reading that I did there. Um, so Lee, uh, if you can Hello. introduce yourself. Uh, Lee is, uh, this is separate from my Talking Teaching podcast, which some people will have watched. Um, Lee is uh, the first person I've had on uh, who I actually know. So Lee and I are good <laughs> friends. Uh, so Lee, if you can introduce yourself a little bit and uh, we'll get going. Sure, thank you, Carl. Uh, thank you for having me on. So uh, very short, I'm Lee Dog. I'm from Birmingham in the United Kingdom. And uh, I've been teaching and training for wow, about 20 years now. Um, I mean, I've been involved in what we call the third sector, that's charity and NGOs. Uh, I'm heavily involved in politics uh, and I do training in private companies as well. So quite a mix. Good. Um, yeah, so training, you were training when I first met you. So you've been involved yeah. in education actually longer than I have um, because you were already training then and I was not. Um, but uh, yeah, you've been training in quite a different context than I have uh, yes. as well. So I'm sure there'll be um, <clears throat> something interesting there to talk about, whether in this or in future episodes. Um, but I want to spend today's uh, episode, as I said, talking about the the first, the reading that I did in the last episode, which was an introduction to this podcast and to the Rebel Teacher Network that this podcast is a part of. Uh, you have watched that video, yes, Lee? Mm -hmm, yeah. Um, so, uh, what are your kind of first reactions? What did you think about the concept of the rebel teacher? What, what you got from that article? And you and I have spoken a little bit about it outside of that context as well. So what are your first thoughts about, about the rebel teacher concept? I, I think I drew back to the word rebel and tried to figure out what it meant in terms of teaching. Um, clearly you want a network of us rebels to, to be uh, coming together. And, and I think it, it really goes back to uh, the principles about what a lot of teachers tell me when I when I sort of talk to them and trainers and lecturers and instructors and whatever other words we have for them. But uh, the, the word rebel is almost it's almost not true because most of the people I speak to in teaching and training, they don't really agree with. So here in the UK, you know, GCSEs and A-levels as they are, they don't really agree with, uh, you know, waiting one or two years to do examinations mm -hmm. and then sort of yeah. saying, well, actually, as a young person, we're now going to give you a, a B or, or, or a three or whatever the grading system is of the day. So most people I talk to in the teaching world have been rebels for a long time. But the problem they find is once they're in the system, they can't rebel because in order to do their job, they've got to award grades and they've got to examinate people. And they've got to, as a friend of mine um, who, who works in a local authority says that the young people are the, the meat in a sausage machine that gets processed through the machine and plucked yeah, out absolutely. at the other end as a completed object. And so, so the rebel part really, really enthused me because most teachers I know want to be rebels. They just feel really constrained yeah. because of their, their day job that they have. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, I, I work in uh, here in Indonesia. It's a much more, um, traditionally formal context. Um, so <clears throat> certainly my direct experience here has been that there are fewer people already in that position, but I also spend a lot of my time speaking with people online from you know, all around the world and, and definitely 
what you're saying that sounds uh, true in a lot of in a lot of countries that you know there are teachers who do already think in this way they already think quite progressively they want to see change uh, but they feel trapped in their position or in their system um and uh they feel that they can't do much about what they're what they're thinking um whereas here in, in indonesia which is quite representative of, of a lot of southeast asia in fact uh, most you know most of the teachers that i work with even that's not really the case you know they are quite happy doing things the way that they are told to by their system by their seniors and the way that things have been done for you know upwards of 100 years now um and it's much rarer for me here to find um teachers who are trying to trying to break out of that um but even for those teachers that like you've mentioned uh, who are feeling trapped in a system they already disagree with um there are different levels i think to that restriction and you've already brought up examinations so the gcses and the the a levels and whatever other exams there are both in the uk and around the world so many different exams that kids have to sit now uh there teachers are quite restricted because of course you can't um can't opt out of those right um so there's not a lot a teacher can do about that but on a much smaller scale um it's really just the the teaching approach that often I would like to see change. Um, so we can't opt out of the exams and we can't tell the kids, ah, don't worry about the exam. Um, I yes. would really just like to be able to say to my students, um, you know, uh, look, we all know really that the exam grades aren't that important and um, don't worry so much about it. And hey, if you get a low grade, no one really cares. And I actually think that that's kind of true, but it's not true at the moment that it matters. And it matters yeah. when they need to go to the next school year and when they've graduated from school a couple of years down the line then nobody cares um and as true as that is that doesn't really help anybody because they still need the grades at the moment that they need the grades so but the, that still there's a lot that's going on in the classrooms mm. the way that teachers are teaching the format of lessons and things like that that i think can change um and there there's a lot of room for flexibility i think yeah yeah absolutely i mean my great heroine no longer with us unfortunately um phil salmon um had a phrase i'm trying to remember the exact words of uh, we, we pretend that we can put students in a classroom and pluck knowledge from a universal pool of reason and just install the knowledge into their yeah. empty vessel of heads and off they go and now they're now they're learned creatures and yeah. um I, I think interesting maybe at this point to bring in the you and i have sort of discussed this many a time and we largely agree but there is this debate around vocational and academic education mm -hmm. and um, uh, I, I won't speak for you I'll speak for me here that certainly I feel that um, there isn't actually there wasn't a split in the first place but we also kind of accept that there isn't enough vocational as well there's this kind of strange parallel thing going on that, that they are one and the same but also at the same time one is getting more prevalence than the other and I think you know in, in this country and just winding back to something you said about um, uh, the the practice so we have a very you know didactic approach in this country uh, you know in in the UK uh, we have well more parts of England and Wales really because we have slightly different governments in different parts of the country over here but certainly in England and Wales our education system hasn't really changed in the last right. 200 250 years yeah, in a way yeah. but that, that young people come into a classroom at the age of 
you know, eight, nine, ten, and then early teenage years where they're trying to figure out relationships and sex and who they are and what their place in the world is. But by the way, you've got to shut up and sit down and do this work with a pencil and no internet, no calculators, no talking to each other. It, yeah. It's just, it's so obviously out of date. And one of the things we often have to think about is when we talk to employers, because of course, it isn't the only goal that education should lead to work, but it's a very good um, path. And one of the things that employers constantly tell us is that uh, you, the, the education system, are sending us people that, that struggle to think for themselves or, right. or, or struggle to think outside of a, a construct. And we want people to come into a workplace and wow us and, and be able to lead and inspire and right. be able to do unexpected things. And, and really, you've, you've, you, the education system, have conditioned them into this, this meat in the sausage machine yeah. that plops yeah, out as right, a sausage yeah. at the end. But you can cook a sausage and eat it and that's that's the end of it um so so i think you know the two things that we see in this country education for which i disagree with are to get another to get a job at the end of it mm -hmm. or to go on to your next qualification mm -hmm. yeah now i have a very strong view that education the learning it is the value of learning and that's it that is the primary getting a job is of course an absolutely major brilliant benefit it, it, it's kind of almost a side effect that you want um you know we often talk about especially in universities we want to help help people develop critical thinking mm -hmm. um you, you and i carl haven't we we've discussed this many times before that if you're trying to develop critical thinking in a 19 year old you're probably a bit too late to the game because yeah, by that yeah. point you, you've lost the ability to yeah. help them yeah so, so i think there's there's multiple things that that we believe education is for the first for me certainly is, is learning Mm -hmm. uh, as the primary but in this country we have a we have quite a dogmatic approach politically from many political right. parties it's across the various spectrums that that the education is to get a job uh, or it's to go on to your next qualification well on the getting a job element the education system we have doesn't properly prepare people right. for the world of work that we have now so yeah, even right. on that very limited scope we have it it, it fails the test instantly yeah. so and this is why we need to rebel because we have a radically uh, we, we have a system that's unfit for right. the world that we live in right and a purpose that as you say it purport, it purports to be for um yeah. even that the idea of getting a job um there is just a very much received and accepted um, wisdom, <laughs> let's, let's not call it, um, that getting a job is based more on the grades that you graduate with rather than the knowledge and the learning you graduate with, right? So the idea of getting a job uh, as a result well, of education is... Well, that's what the schools is, think. That, that's well, what the education minister will tell right. you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but, the, you know, the, the, there's an entire economy a grade-based economy that has been set up and that is perpetuated by, I suspect more the universities than the schools. I think that it's a university economy um, and the schools pay into the university economy and the, the, the um, companies that hire are supposedly withdrawing from that economy where it is all about getting that, that piece of paper with that grade. Um, and, you know, it is, it is, I think, upheld by a lot of, um, companies by a lot of recruiters and, and you know the, the hiring stage at the end of it all um, are upholding it because they do still ask for 
grades and degrees when they ask for your CV. They want to know what d degree you hold and they still place, you know, this degree as a minimum requirement, must have a bachelor's degree in XYZ, must yeah. have a minimum of X number Absolutely. of grades. So, I mean, it's still being upheld. And so the schools are saying, well, look, it's our job to get those grades, right? It's our job to make sure the kids get the grades that they need to get the job. Um, and, and there's been, you know, at, at every stage of that process, the school, the unis, the, the jobs, sight has been lost of the learning that underlies the grades, right? Yeah, I think uh, let me just write down university economy. I, I, I like that because it is that that drives, you know, universities yeah. absolutely have a, a fundamental place, mainly for uh, research, I would argue, uh, especially in the world that we live in at the moment. We need yeah. scientific research more than ever. And we mm -hmm. see certainly in this country, research grants, well, university funding in general being hit and then research being cut further. So we've got a major problem that's going to, I think, really show itself more in, in sort of five years time or so um because we're not we're not putting the investment in in now into things like research but I, I like the idea of a university economy because i mean there are some jobs if i go to work in the city or if i want to be a researcher you know the idea that one would have uh, a lower second would be a complete you right. know, who do you think right. you are coming into my right. interview room you know ignoring all of the other skills they have but but i i, I would sort of question your your uh, note about what businesses still look for in terms of do they really look at the grades and so on because I, I go back to your earlier point actually about the the grades are really only worth <clears throat> something at the time they're worth right I remember when I passed all I passed all my GCSEs but every single one of them was a C mm. uh, and at the time I was expected to get a, a half B's and half C's and I thought oh my god that the world had collapsed it was it was the end of everything since then I've done lots in work I am right done teaching I've got a degree in, in so on from the open university so even there that's a slightly different path but yeah, right. um you know at the time I was I was devastated and the next morning they didn't matter I mean in this right. country it's even the case that GCSEs themselves technically only have a 10-year shelf life so if you right. go in at age 27 to a job and say I've got a grade a star 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 or a one or whatever we call it these days in English literature and English language, while we separate them, that's another podcast. But, you know, that doesn't technically mean anything because they've expired. Okay. But even at the age of 17, 18, 19, I don't know of business leaders that interview people on the basis of have you got these particular grades. Now, do um, you think that that's true, even when it's your... Because if, 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 if that's the case, then that's very heartening, because it means I'm just, I'm mistaken about... And now, again, I know that that is the case, unfortunately, here in Indonesia. Yeah. But I, I was Still quite convinced that that was yeah. the case in the UK. But I wonder, do you think that that's true for first, first job applicants as well, when they, they've just left school or they've just mm -hmm. left uni and they're applying for their first job? Because I know if you've already had a job for a few years and you're looking to change, then the recruitment process is going to be much more interested in your performance yeah. at your last job. Absolutely. But if this is your first job, is that still the case? depends on the sector it depends on what industry you're in because of course right. the the what we call unskilled sectors which i think is is actually the wrong term because to get into those sectors such as construction work and manual labor it's you very need skill based skills, yeah skills right. and yeah. qualifications and, and so on so so I, I i think we're in a transition phase because the people the business leaders to use a very nebulous yeah. phrase but the business leaders will tell us and just to clarify that, actually, who do I mean by us? So the schools and colleges and universities in the area, uh, those of us involved in, in politics and making policy for government and local authorities, uh, uh, you know, those of us in those sorts of worlds and much of that overlaps, 
the, the, the business leaders tell us that they don't just want people coming out with A stars because not only are they on the rise and we have more of them than ever, mm -hmm. um, it, it, it just becomes, it, it, becomes a, it becomes a bit of a race that people have already, becomes a race of a number of people where everybody is coming first. So how on earth do you pick? Yeah, but the also, I mean, the, 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 yeah, no, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, yeah I was just going to say that, that what they're selling us is that what they want to do is that they want people to come in and sort of wow them. Do, yeah. do they have a good sense of humour? Can they answer some right, critical right, questions? Right. Can they get involved in a conversation? The only problem I have with that is then that if you've got somebody with challenges uh, in, you know, uh, disability or neurodiverse right, yeah, or someone yeah, who just generally yeah. is quite shy they yeah. can't go in and do that so they're they're now losing because we put them in a hierarchy yeah of social although, characteristics so we're swapping yeah i mean although i would i would want to argue there there's a lot there there's a few things i would want to argue there i mean i agree with you that what we what we don't want is to take out a hierarchy of grades and replace it with uh, yeah. discrimination right of course um but i do think that uh, there, there would be some jobs not every job. If you're if you're saying you know, oh, we we've got a data entry job for you, and uh, we hope you've got a good sense of humour, then I don't know the relevance. <laughs> but I mean, if if you're if you're in uh, to pick one off the we've top done of my data head, data entry before, yeah. <laughs> right? May or may not be the best example, but something like marketing, something like you know, sales, yeah. where the human interaction part of that is central to the job, um, then some kind of you know interpersonal skill would i think be required and if you happen to be i mean i'm you know i'm not a particularly sociable person and so i wouldn't apply for a job in sales um uh, for example and i think that it's fair sometimes to you know there's some form of um well discrimination i mean when we when we use that word outside of the personal sphere when we talk about uh, any other kind of object um you know you discriminate just means to see the differences and decide what's more appropriate and i think that some form of you know kind of neutral uh, discrimination in some jobs is is uh, yeah. and i would rather see people being discriminated on their strengths and weaknesses in spheres like that than the grades they got when they sat a one-hour exam at the end of 12 years 12 years of study you know yeah, I, I think it's interesting on the discrimination point because what, what we're seeing, we, we kind of go, we, we, if I, I describe it as a pendulum, we kind of have a social attitude here yeah. and then it kind of goes here where ideally we'd want to be here. But the yeah. problem is it's either there or there. And, and what we have with discrimination at the moment is we have, of course, dreadful discrimination you know we see a lot of protests black lives matters and, and, and mm -hmm. other things mm -hmm. the 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 me too mo movement um all those sorts of things which i think are actually positive right. because those people who still face the more hurdles than the likes of you and i do um you know it's right to highlight those and then there are then those people who say well actually positive discrimination is just as bad as negative discrimination but i don't think it is because no. without some positive discrimination in those areas we're never going to see any progress but also it's the case i mean i was talking to somebody who's a recruitment um, officer for a company uh, based in london but they are national in in britain and um they only hire people who have identified or been diagnosed as autistic right and i was like wow that's quite a discrimination because normally these people yeah. uh, you know people with autism and so on would be seen as not useful in certain jobs and so on which, which yeah. is obviously awful as a blanket they've gone down the discrimination because their only recruitment they do 
uh, is in the field of a particular type right, of exactly. computer yeah, right, coding right, right. that requires a a single focus yeah. mind to be able to do you know the work that they do. And and I think so. So I think in terms of education, those people, uh, you know, th those with autism or or other what we call SEN in this country or all sorts of special needs, they are often seen as a as a problem. They're seen as right. a Oh, well, they can't do the, what the rest of us do. Well, actually, no, they can do just as good, but just in a different field. Uh, and yeah. I think so I, I think the discrimination word, which I know you've just sort of brought in there as part of the discussion, I think that's really important because there are some areas where discrimination positively is, is, yeah. is a good thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I suppose the, just thinking partly about the example you've just raised, but also just more broadly, the kind of logical opposite of, um, of, any, of any discrimination at all. Uh, if you were if you were to remove any form of discrimination, um, then your only remaining recourse would be to give the job to the first person that walks through the door, and then if they turn out to not be very good at the job, you have to fire them and start again. Right um, now, I think to some extent that using that as an extreme, I think to some extent one thing that I would like to see more of, um, and this. I, I would see it as being maybe incorporated into some form of an internship or apprenticeship model, which is, I think, all but dead in most uh, spheres now, where it used to be the, you know, the, the, the standard, um, would be more of just giving someone a chance, right? Just the, the just say, look, your, your CV may or may not be the strongest, your grades may or may not be the strongest, uh, you know, these strengths and weaknesses may or may not apply to you, but, you know, we're gonna give you a go and we will be training you as you go and you know some form of probation some form of, a, of an apprenticeship period and if you you know if you don't manage to achieve certain goals during that time then i guess you're not fit for the job but if you do then great and we will we won't know until a certain period of time has passed and you've demonstrated that you can do this job because sometimes you get somebody with the 2-2 and the you know the, the glowing cv and they just can't do the job but you've already given them the job and you can't fire them now because the law says so or, or you know whatever else exactly. so i think i think giving somebody a chance is uh whatever model that whatever form that takes. I think giving a chance to somebody who may or may not have <clears throat> all of the prerequisites, um, everybody would benefit from, the, the employer and yeah. of course the employee. And, and I think that's really important because so, so there's a couple of threads there. One of the things I would say about the uh, approach of apprenticeships. Now in this country, um, uh, the sort of politics I've been involved with has had seen a bit of a renaissance in terms of okay. apprenticeships Good. over the last almost decade in a way, and that they've been seen as something valuable. Um, I, I still have a problem, which is a, is a sort of a separate issue. I still genuinely have a problem with, well, why should we pay an 18 year old less on the minimum wage than somebody older starting the job at the same time? So there's some issues with how we bring them into the workplace, but certainly in terms of the apprenticeships, it's great if you can get an apprentice to come in to be able to go around different parts of a business or different yeah, parts yeah, of a, right. you know, this week you'll work in HR, this week you'll work with yeah. the trainers, this week you'll work on the shop floor, those yeah. sorts of, because that actually mirrors the world of work, you know, right, it exactly. is, you know, even older than I, people older than I would remember jobs, you know, jobs for life, or if you were to lose a job, you could finish a job on a Friday and walk into another one on a Monday. Now, that's not a world I've generally been aware of, but it was certainly my parents' generation. The generation kind of after me, as it were, absolutely do not have those opportunities. So, right. so allowing people to go around and pick up different skills in different teams and in different disciplines in different departments mirrors the world of work where you can have people sometimes holding two jobs in different sectors. Yeah, it right, mirrors right. the world of work because you might have three different jobs within four months. 
and that's just how things are now so and again we go back to the education system we have still tries to think you know careers advice what an awful thing we have in this country yeah, careers yeah. advice okay at the age of 14 you now tell me what you want to do for the rest of your life now not only is that a ridiculous question to ask a 14 year old the idea that then if you were to achieve that at age 18 we, we have um legal requirement to be in education and training or apprenticeships until 18 now rather than 16 that uh, somehow at 18 once you get into that job that you'll be there forever well it's just right. not it's just not a valid way of, of looking at right. the world. And um, so, so, you know, that side of things is, is important. But also, um, you were talking about um, how we view, we were talking earlier about how we view, and I'm going to look this right back to now, how, about how we view uh, teaching as a model, you know, uh, and how we teach them in the classroom to start mm. with. Uh, before they even get to the point of well, what do you want to do for the rest of your life and I think if you have a system which we do have in this country whereby uh, you know you, you have a child that sits in a particular chair usually the same chair every time and usually yeah. away from each other um, not allowed to look at the internet and all those sorts of things that we put restrictions on and then the teacher talks to them from the front of the class and they will kind of do what they're told <clears throat> I suppose the, the link I'm trying to make is how do we get those people to come into a workplace and make a name for themselves? Right. How do we Which get I think, those people to yeah. come in and say, I'm going to have a, you know, I'm going to really do what I want to do and achieve something. Well, really, I need to sit back and be told what to do. Yeah. How, how do we yeah. square that circle? Yeah, I mean, I think the, there's, there's a historic, uh, historical element to that. There's often some debate, and I, I'm not really sure where the... Uh, the historical facts actually lie here but there's some debate around this um this idea that education when in its first iteration the kind of formal education system was um designed around the the factory uh model now some people kind of hold that idea very firm and use it as a as a uh, you know rallying call uh, a lot of people want to disagree that that's even the case whether or not education itself was designed around the manufacturing model. Um, it was certainly designed to populate the manufacturing uh, companies, right? So it was designed to put people into those jobs. Yeah. Um, and essentially, you know, uh, primary, secondary education was for that. And then the university was for the upper tier of, of employment. So if you're going to be you know, engineers or, or you know, upper management, then you would go to university. So we had that model and it's still basically the same in terms of how it's implemented um which is perhaps why more and more degrees are required because well the degree is for that level of job and we want people to be moving into those levels of, of work um but you do end up with basically a school system that is designed and implemented specifically to create followers right to graduate followers who will do as they're told who will kind of sit in the same place all day and there, that used to be the majority of jobs, right? Most people would come out of school, if they went to school, if they didn't go to school, it's because they were already in agriculture and yeah. they were doing some kind of village position or family thing and they just were uneducated, entirely uneducated. If they wanted a job, it would probably be a factory type job, some kind of menial labor job, which the school model set them up very well for. Now those jobs are being replaced at a mass, you know, at a, at a very high rate with automation and various other time-saving and money-saving models. That there are fewer and fewer jobs that require you to come into work in the morning, uh, be given, you know, be handed your set of instructions, sit at your post, 
not speak to anybody else, follow your instructions. You'll get an hour at break, just like you get an hour at break in, in school. And then you'll go back and you'll continue, you know, in your post. Uh, now, more and more workplaces are kind of open plan. They're collaborative. You're expected to work on a team. You're expected to uh, start your own projects. You're expected to come in and not necessarily be given instructions, but know that you have a goal to work towards and work out how you're going to get all of these things that the workplaces are kind of transforming into. Um, now school is not supplying the kinds of workers that they need in those kinds of workspaces. Well, I suppose to bring it even more close to where we are now. I mean, interesting, you talk about the history of, of uh, we devised the education system we have, which is largely seen as academic to fulfill a factory role, which is seen as vocational. Right. So what right. a weird, what a weird right. kind of transition. Uh, how about we bring it back up today? Because you're right to say that, you know, the open plan offices and the way that we want people to try and work together more collaboratively. But maybe we could say that was February of 2020. Wh where are we now in August of 2020? Yeah, right, right, right. We're in a world of online. We're, right. we're in a world of asking people to uh, socialise in the workplace via online apps and video conferencing or phone calls. We're asking people to work more at home. So, so it's really interesting that, that we've kind of been forced into this change, which, which I find, and you and I have discussed this before, where we're begrudgingly trying to find what we're calling a new normal, when we uh -huh. should ditch the idea of normal. We can't do normal yeah. anymore. Let's yeah. use the opportunity to, you know, in terms of education, and where, you know, the theme here is about being rebels. Let's use the opportunity of a, of a yeah. new world that can no longer operate yeah. the way we did in February of 2020. Let's look at, you know, how can we make online collaboration work? So w we've talked often about how, you know, what you shouldn't ever do with online training or e-learning is use it to replace, you know, in the same, yeah, training. the same practices, the but, same approaches. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. But we're, we're now in a place that it's just not feasible or even safe in some places for let's say at least the next six months, to right. have a massive group of people within one lecture theatre in a university. Right. Or, I mean, right. how are universities going to handle it? Because you talk about the university economy, which I agree with, but they need 150 students sat in a well, lecture. Well, they do, but there's an irony about. there. There's an irony there because actually what happens in a university lecture hall um, is the is precisely the kind of thing that does not need to be in a university lecture hall because it's, you know, you and I are in different countries right now, but if we want to sit in silence and watch the same video for the next 20 minutes, we could do that. We don't need to be in the same room to do that. And so to the extent that, you know, the, the lecture hall is a lecturer lecturing to a room full of people, well, there's absolutely no reason why that needs to be in the room. What needs to be in a room, um, and I, you know, I still am, I, I still very much endorse the physical classroom um, <clears throat> and I'm quite keen to get back to it. But I hope that when we get back on mass, we'll do things quite differently. Um, one of the things that I think the physical room is necessary for is, you know, good interpersonal collaborative work. Um, <clears throat> again, there are options for that online and you can, you can, um, you can do a lot of collaborative work online and you can do it asynchronously, which I think there's a lot of value to. But I do think there's a lot of value to having people in the same room, discussing things, sharing ideas, exploring ideas. Um, <clears throat> you can do a lot of that online, but I think that... Yeah. 
I, I would challenge you on that only because so we're, we're thinking you know <coughs> what, what should we re rebel against the system and what parts of it and how do we rebel but if we're we i mean you, you have just said so you're wanting us to go back to the classroom and i completely agree that there are benefits to that kind of interpersonal relationship i have a slightly different view on how beneficial it is to be in person talking to somebody about something compared to on a phone or on a conference call or on a video call i, I don't actually think there is that much of a difference uh, but but that aside, you're wanting us to go back to the classroom, but we're also trying to rebel against the classroom as a model for teaching. So how how do we? Yeah, I don't know. That, do I don't know that I necessarily together? am. Although I'm I'm open to to you know seeing how far that idea can be pushed and, and whether I can go even more in that direction than I already am. I'm certainly open to that. But I, the, the, as I said, but I am not necessarily rebelling against the classroom as a concept. I quite okay. like the classroom. Um, I just don't like what a lot of teachers do in the classroom. Uh, so to say, I mean, the extreme example being the lecture. Um, I don't like that. I don't right. mind having, right. So I don't mind having a, a, you know, a number of students in a room. I don't want to have a hundred students sitting in rows while they listen to one person speaking. I don't think there's any value to, to that. Um, but I do think there's value to having, you know, maybe 10 or 15 people in a room, uh, collaborating, sharing ideas on a common workspace. I also think that as technology develops more and more, then I will become less and less um, enamored by the classroom model. At the moment, I think we're not quite there yet. There are common spaces, you know, you can have shared documents and shared whiteboards online and the camera. I mean, if we were doing this 10 years ago, um, imagine trying to do this just over yeah. the phone where, you know, you can only have one person on. The fact that you can now have yeah. 10 people on a video call with faces um, is vastly different than it was just five years ago, let alone 10 years ago. So uh, five years from now, if, if there can be, you know, presumably even more flexibility, then perhaps I'll be even less uh, interested in the classroom. So would you then, say you know. in the classroom, uh, you know, you're able to see people, let's say the 15 that you've picked, you yeah. know, and then you want to do an exercise and you break those 15 out into three groups right. of five and you can right. give them things to do. But you can do all that on Zoom. So why do you need the classroom? You can. Um, as I said, for me, and, and I'm willing to be just wrong about this because the, the wronger I am about this, I think the better. <laughs> but, but at the moment, I am I'm still, I still feel that there's less fluidity when you're doing it online. I mean, you and I having this conversation now, and I've been having conversations like this for a few weeks now with other people as well, uh, is fine. It's, you know, it's, I don't see much difference between this and if you and I were in a coffee shop talking uh, and, and, you know, Arguably, there's a benefit to this because you don't have the distractions of the environment, you know, uh, but if, if you and I were in the same room now in a small room, just kind of sharing a, a cup of coffee and uh, or, well, one coffee each uh, and just having this conversation in, in physical person, um, I don't think there'd be much difference although it's nice to, you know, get together with friends. And uh, so obviously there is a, there is a different social element. Um, I mean, I have a, a, a small child who's doing, she's doing her online schooling at the moment because the schools are closed and it's very different for her to, you know, to not be able to play with her friends, you know, to, to not be able to run around and play with friends. I mean, there's a definite value to, to socializing and, and meeting in a, in a common space uh, just on a social level, if not on an educational level in the formal sense. You see, it's interesting and linking this to our, our, our sort of classroom approach and so on. The, I, I'm unsure if you've convinced me. No, no. Well, I'll say you haven't convinced me that there's a practical benefit to 
of the classroom scenario because what you've done there is explain that everything we would do in a classroom and rightly so again thinking of the themes of rebelling not just seating people in a row mm -hmm. uh, two meters or whatever apart you know and then just talking at them and hoping that they go away with more knowledge we 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 i know you and i certainly agree uh, and hopefully your audience does or will agrees that that's not really the way that we should be focusing mm -hmm. on education so so i am unsure what you're saying the benefit of being in the classroom is, so, because everything you've you've suggested yeah. to do there can be done online so what's right the... but i think if you take it away from as i said this this two-person call that we're having now which i think works Almost perfectly, as I said. I think there's little distinction between this and if you yeah. and I were together, apart from the social value. I don't. I don't think you know. If if the rest of human society had to be conducted through laptop screens, I think that that would be a, lead to a certain kind of derangement, socially speaking. Uh, so I think there's just a, there is a kind of a social value to that kind of interaction. But that aside, um, you know, this two-person, this two-way conversation is one thing. When you start getting up to larger numbers, and I think there's a benefit to collaborating in large numbers, not 50 or 100, but you know. 10 people in a classroom, for example. Um, then the dynamic of conversation, uh, so in my experience, and I think I, you know, I, I've, I've worked pretty hard to uh, facilitate as good collaboration as possible, but I think that the dynamic of conversation begins to falter when you're online because of, you know, conversation, um, necessarily involves a certain amount of interruption people like to complain about interruption like yeah. to do studies on but but you can't really have good natural, natural conversation yeah. without some uh, over speaking and interruption um and it's that kind of thing just suffers a little bit online when you get up to i don't know more than even four or five people the only thing i find that misses suffers is if there is lag and, and so in a number of right, years when everybody has 2000 meg broadband or whatever that should go i think there is something i think in in the you know I, i'm uh teaching uh, or or uh, you know training a group of people in a room or or i'm chairing a meeting or all the other mm -hmm. stuff i do there are some things you can just notice somebody tapping their finger exactly right yeah you, right just so a yeah, little twitch of a facial good. expression yeah yeah i just want to go on to sort of um and this is a bit bit of a tangent but it's linked to something you said about the lack of social interaction if they're all on their laptops and so on mm. now teaching is often talked about and we know it isn't only about you and i have a, a great love of lifelong learning but teaching is often looked at you know the formative years of late primary early mid well the whole of the secondary years so we're talking nine to 16 17 18 but a lot of those people are very used to if we're going to make a big stereotype over the last 10, 15 years, the whole thing is DMing each other. They're yeah. going on Instagram, they're going on Facebook, and they don't want to meet up in person because they find it easier to text each other. Yeah. The phone has become a device to do everything mm -hmm. apart from mm -hmm. phoning mm -hmm. each other on. So, yeah. so is it really not the world? I don't know. I don't know how true that, that is. Not the world that the yeah. now I don't know how true that is. Uh, to again, you know, it depends how far we kind of push the extremes. I don't know how true that is because I, I, you know, kids do still hang out, and 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 kids, whether we, I mean, the younger the kid, the more. Uh, but even you know, eighteen, nineteen, they 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 might spend more time on instant messages and social media, but they do spend a certain amount of that time uh, arranging when they're gonna meet and they do still meet and they do still go out. You know, uh, social spaces do still get used, perhaps less than, than uh, you know, in the past. Um, and now we actually can see this, you know, 
in stark daylight, the schools being closed all around the world, one of the main thing that most school age kids are complaining about is not being able to see their friends. Um, and of course they do still have access to social media, but I'm hearing well, lots and lots of kids saying, I, you know, I, I miss I, hanging out with friends. Yeah, I, I, I can only speak for the reports I've seen and the people I've spoken to. I've only heard that complaints of the parents. Now, of course, there's. Oh, no, I've, I've definitely heard that from. Okay, from that, kids. that's. Yeah, okay. Yeah, but, but just yeah. on, you know, there's absolutely right that, you know, I, I had somebody who I work with uh, who've had the kids at home and, um, you know, uh, they are with uh, their wife as well. And they're saying they're really finding it a struggle because whilst they're working at home during the pandemic, they're having to be a worker. They're also having to be a husband and they're also having to be a parent and a teacher. And of course it's, yeah. oh, yeah. now you realize I mean, that the, 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 yeah. thought it was. Yeah. But the, I, the... I think it's interesting because again, they're looking at how we, we change the way we teach. I think I've seen some good examples of this, but they're very small. Where, where generally speaking, missing a trick on, you know, we, we the use of, you know, people DMing and, and apps mm -hmm. and all this sort mm -hmm. of thing. What, what I see too much of in this country, because they're wanting to act like it's 1846, is that children will go into school and some schools go so far as to um, uh, take the phones off the children. I was, the I was just, well, the first time I saw that um, out here, and I, I'm surprised you say that because I thought that was a, an exclusively Indonesian. I find thing. it so horrific. I find it yeah, so, yeah. I, I get that there's a time and place and, you know, and parents well, can get annoyed. Well, no, I actually don't. Because... At dinner, but but use, right. the app, use the phones, use the internet to, right. to create a new experience. Use right. the technology they exactly used right. to. And I also to think that into the learning. We, we, you know, I would, I don't like being with a person who is kind of uh, glued to their phone for the entire time that we're together. I find that a problem socially as an adult now with a, you know, in a social situation. But I think that if we, and I think a lot of people would agree with that. And I also think that the people who are guilty of it would also agree with it, ironically. Um, but I think that if we are, if we force the kids in, in school to not have any access to it, then they're not going to learn the social, uh, they're not going to learn how to socialize around the devices. So they're going to leave the school uh, yeah. and then, then they're going to be in a social situation that they haven't been prepared for. Well, how do I socialize without the device? Because I spent eight hours a day, um, you know, only knowing what to do without a device. Oh, one thing I should make clear as well, because I think I've perhaps not made it clear. Although I, um, endorse the return to the classroom. Um, I do not necessarily endorse that that should be eight hours a day, five days a week. So I think that there is a, certainly a, a place for the physical classroom, but then I also support the idea of libraries, for example, you know, having a physical space to go and learn with other people around you, I think is a valuable thing to have. And I would not like to see that completely disappear. Um, but to have kids, you know, the bell rings and they must be in, in class from this time to this time, eight hours a day and in the same chair, that I definitely don't uh, think is, is, is something we should be striving to get back to. If we could have the school building as a place that, you know, the kids are encouraged to come X number of times a week, which may or may not be more or less flexible, um, you know, come in, okay, look, we're gonna be doing a project on this particular day and I want everybody in for, for, for you know, an hour and a half on that day and we'll do something together then. You know, so it's it's kind of a central hub for learning rather than the only place that learning is allowed to happen. Um, and then I think there's some value to that. But you see, 
what you're actually arguing for there is the system, certainly in this country, we have of how universities work. Now, there are those of us that argue that there are many three-year courses that could be two years and so on, but yeah. you know, the idea that you come in to do a particular thing, now, we would agree, as I think we have done on this call, that coming in, the thing that you're coming in to do is to sit in a hall of 100 people and listen to a lecture right. going on at you. Right. That's not very constructive. Right. But, but the idea is that you come in to do something and then you mill around with people and yeah. you go to the library that the university... Yeah. So, so it's interesting, isn't it? Because the universities that are that are institutionally in this country even older than secondary primary schools in in how they work, but they kind of have a model that we think could work. If I suppose, if only they could do it properly, or they could only do it better. Yeah. And I think, you know. But but even when we start to, you know, going back to early years, um, I often talk about the Scandinavian model. You know, Finland, Norway. Yeah and how formal education doesn't start until seven, which I think is a great opportunity. In this country where, where I think, I don't know if regressing is the right word, but we're pushing now formalized education and lessons earlier and earlier and earlier. But before, in the before time, before the pandemic, because our whole school system is set up around a social model of uh, mum and dad or carer or whoever, needs to get their child to school at seven in the morning so they can get to work work their day and then pick them up at seven yes right right but the problem with that is not only are children in that environment for longer we're also in this country i think going the wrong direction because we're trying to come up with more formalized lessons and you know yeah. when you have sats uh you know nine ten year old i think is such that such the wrong way to go and we're trying to the problem is that now we have children in school or school settings or educational settings for much longer we're trying to formalize the education yeah. a lot more when i yeah. think we should be going in the other direction so yeah well i, I think, think it's even a, a problem in how we structure the time oh, definitely, have, yeah. which really yeah. you've just commented on yeah definitely and i think you know the the irony there is there are two things here that we're picking up from the university model one of them that we again maybe i speak for myself one of them that i like and one of them that i don't like um, so I like the independence that we expect to see in the university model. Yeah. I like the the variety of activities. So, you know, you can come to a lab session at a particular time with your classmates and something is happening there that, you know, there's a benefit to you being there. Um, and then after that period is finished, you can go back to kind of your own approach, go to the library or, you know, go and knock to the library. Um, you go and do things your own way. Um, so that I like and I'd like to see more of that in school, um, but unfortunately at the moment, the, the way that school is, or what schools are, seem to be taking from the university model, they are copying the university, but they're copying the fact that it's academically focused. Um, and this brings us back to, you know, something you mentioned earlier about this dichotomy between academic and uh, vocational. Um, I think there'd be a lot of value to maybe having a conversation about exclusively that, perhaps uh, on, a, on a future uh, podcast, yeah. um, but, but even, within this context um the vocational side of things um i think is just the the uh, the application of the learning so the academic for me when we talk about academic we mean learning for the sake of learning right learning for the sake of amassing more knowledge that's what sort of the academic approach is which i think there's some value to in some contexts um the vocational side of things is this bit that's about preparing students with skills that they're going to be able to apply whether that's in work or or not um you know as you said i don't think work should be the only thing we're thinking about um but it's it is a major uh, goal of course so if we were to 
keep the flexibility of the university, but remove the exclusive focus on academic development, academic learning, um, and maintain some of the you know early childhood play that you'd get in in the the you know if you take the play aspect from early childhood and the flexibility from university and combine them in the school the middle school uh, time frame, then I think you'd have something quite worthwhile. I think it's interesting as well in terms of the you know what would we do in the vocational side because we often talk about vocational i'm going back to the stone age now when i was at school and we did it was either something to do with food or something to do with metal and wood right, you know yeah, you yeah, kind yeah, of right. did one or the other and yeah. one of the good things about that now is we're kind of breaking through gender and sex barriers because mm -hmm, it was predominantly mm -hmm. women doing this and men doing this because that's yeah, what right. we thought they had to do um you know we have now this great thing of stem I think that's a bit limited because it misses out the arts and humanities, but yeah, we, right. we accept now that that should be applicable to, uh, you know, um, young women and young men and regardless of their background. So I think there's some, we've made some benefits, we've made some uh, sort of strides forwards there, but I think we're, we're still missing a trick that, you know, we don't do any financial education right. to... Uh, young teenagers you know what right. is it to handle money what right. is it to run uh, a surplus or at least break even every month and put right. a bit away so that's where what? if you look at if you use that yeah, example what? and we refer to maths then as where maths has been treated as a as a solely academic subject right by yeah. which i mean you learn formulas uh, so that you, you the, the whole purpose of maths is so that you know how to do mathematics yeah. uh, is not so that you can do anything with it um, right. and as far as i'm concerned that just learning how to you know calculate it, to calculate your taxes or work out how uh, you know the interest on a mortgage and these various things that people actually you know need to be able to do uh, that is then bringing vocation into maths and yeah. beyond that you know yeah. you can and look at how it applies to the workplace and whatever else that's and, that and would then, be vocation the number of people in their late teens early 20s that have said to me you know when am i ever going to use pythagoras's theorem you know so but, but i mean it's not even maths that's the problem is it i think we do too much maths we don't do enough numeracy we, we don't yeah, well, we okay. do too much english we don't do enough literacy and i think yeah. what we should be doing with maths sorry with numeracy and literacy is threading them through everything else so yeah, you know and just linking it back to the vocational so yes le learning you know what is a mortgage and how would you apply for it or or what's the difference between a mortgage and a rent you know yeah. housing for young people in this country and i know um, other countries it's such a massive problem but we don't even yeah. tell them in school well, well what's the difference between the different types of housing and how you right, apply yeah, and even um, when you know you say that like we said earlier and we've already kind of pulled this apart a little bit the idea that school is to prepare you or to get to get you a job it doesn't prepare you that's that i think is the problem it's designed to get you the grades that will get you the job but it doesn't really prepare you for the job i mean one way that that's obviously true is you don't spend any real time in work uh, learning what the workplace is going to yeah. be like Right? You, yeah. you do the study, which is Absolutely. academic study for the sake of getting the grade. The grade is for the sake of getting the job. Then the job starts and you've got no idea what day one is going to be like. You've not spent any real time thinking about the job and the workplace and the relationships and the environment is uh, an abstract mysterious concept that is for the well, adults. Oh, well, that's for, yeah. you know, that's not for, not for school. 
There are those that would challenge you, of course, and say, ah, but we have two weeks of work experience when one is 15. <laughs> yeah. Because what happens with that Which work I remember spending most of my time with my, uh, whoever, the person I was assigned to. Uh, she was a massive fan of Neighbours, and we spent most of our time watching Neighbours in the break room. I didn't get any value, really, from oh, the... Oh, dear. Watch out for banter. But I, I, I think the, the problem you've got is that those, two, those people go for two weeks. What is that two weeks? That in, certainly yeah. in my experience and everyone else's, you go there there's no structure to it the people at the workplace find it a, a, well they're not they're a, not a, educators a, right so my case and, was it was a junior member of the the place yeah. i was working she not to say she wasn't good at her job but she was you know she was not broadly across the entire institution she yeah. was a fairly junior member and i was shadowing her she wasn't an educator she wasn't no, 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 she exactly. wasn't in the heart of the institution but, but so the school in my experience uh, for me but also in the experience i have of talking to other schools they then don't try to structure a plan no. in many cases i have a few examples where that differs they don't try to structure a plan you know so that person goes in and staples and photocopies for two weeks which doesn't i mean it puts them off work yeah exactly right yeah. <laughs> and yeah. and you know, it, it's, 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 but, but, but I mean, we go back to this idea about um, work. I mean, I'm radical enough, uh, nay, rebellious enough. I am such a rebel that I say getting a job out of education is a side effect. Yeah. It's not even a fundamental principle of, of the purpose of education. It's a brilliant side effect and one that we want to work towards and have them for. But, but yeah. really what, what, what we want them to do is go out into the world with, with such a, if I dare use the cliche rounded education, that they have a knowledge of, of things like, you know, how do I apply to get a mortgage? How do yeah. I go for a job interview? How do right, I exactly, form yeah. relationships? That's it. I mean, yeah, I think, I think I would we don't do enough on that. Yeah. I think we'll probably end up agreeing, but I think I I'll disagree with the, the way you've perhaps described that position. Um, I mean, I, 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 okay. So I would agree that the, getting a job should perhaps not be the be all and end all. I, I definitely agree with that. But I do think getting a job on, on at least some level, which we explore a little bit, should be a primary objective uh, for what education is because, I mean, you talked about getting a house, for example. Well, you're not getting a house without gainful employment where you're earning money. I mean, we know that everybody needs to get a job. And so one of the things that we should be doing as, as, as teachers and as an education system is preparing people so that they will be you know able to have a effectively a comfortable life now i've i have to remember what my five were and i want to expand it more but i i kind of put forth a while back sort of uh five spheres of life that that we kind of we operate in one being you know so professional uh social i forget what they were and and i wouldn't want to you know be too hardline on these are the five because it's it's just a kind of a loose idea that i had but you know your professional life is an important part of adult life, having a job, keeping a job, um, earning money so that you can have a house and feed yourself. And I mean, we know that these are necessary, um, but what I disagree with is, as we've said before, the, the way that the concept of work is, um, is idealized at the school level. It's just this thing, you need to get the grades so you can get the job. If we could spend more time identifying the skills and the strengths and the interests that children have um, and then kind of transitioning if anything just transitioning from okay today you know the way it is now is that today you're in school for 12 years and then you take an exam and then adult life starts and you're in a job and there's a just there's a wall between the two apart from this two weeks of <laughs> work experience that you've mentioned but if we could kind of just crossfade as it were the school 
experience and then you kind of maybe you dip your toe into a few different working environments and you learn not just from your teachers but maybe from leaders in different well, environments and then gradually yeah. you're just transitioning to a point where it's you are now in the world of work well, 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 yeah but no but yeah but no but so so interestingly i mean i i liked I'll, I'll have to read more about or you'll have to send me the link again about those different um, yeah parts of your life i mean I, I think of a podcast whose spheres are they anyway but it, 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 it's an interesting it's an interesting approach because we've we've identified i think certainly on this podcast amongst the, the two of us is that i like the idea of the transition but we're accepting that the, the world of education doesn't match the world's of work so it's almost like you know i do still believe that the the side you know getting a job is a side effect of education but if the education system is good of a good quality the side effect is a natural happening but it isn't about getting a job is it it is about applying yeah. for jobs plural yes. so, so oh, yeah, of course, the education yeah. system doesn't guarantee you'll get a job because there's still too much certainly in this country of you know if mummy or daddy have the right money or the right connections yeah. and yeah. they can get you into the right college and get you into the right workplace and so so in general it's about equipping people equipping young people for the confidence in applying for jobs and in the case i have uh, uh, somebody i know in their mid-20s they literally applied for 300 job positions and didn't mm -hmm. get any of them. Yeah. So they're sort of currently floating around retail, which has now become almost impossible. Um, mm -hmm. it, it's about how do we build in, let's bring in the word of the day, resilience. Um, I have yeah. a bit of an issue of how, you know, we think we give people resilience training and they are resilient. Well, no, they're slightly more resilient than they were before. Yeah. But, you know, especially around the world of mental health that we talk about mm -hmm. these days. The education system that we have certainly in in this country is so detrimental to the mental health of young people that when they become 16 18 we say right now go out and get a job with all the confidence in the world and make you know but by the age of mid-20s we socially expect you to have a car and a family and a house yeah, and yeah, a dog yeah, and yeah, a, yeah. it's just too much put onto young people isn't it and, and yeah no it definitely is i mean i would say perhaps then let's see if i can uh reformulate my position and because because I, I i think i i I'm, i think we're agreeing um yeah so yeah i i definitely confidence to apply for jobs and the resilience of all of that so dealing with the job market as it were and, and all of those things um is overlooked and should be incorporated i agree um but again you know part of so schooling should be about developing the whole child let's kind of yeah that, that's a, a common i think popular phrase at the moment the holistic holistic, approach to, right, the the holistic approach to developing the whole child um and you know it should have more interest than it generally does now in the the personality and developing the character these are things that i think are neglected they get a lot of lip service so i think a lot of people will disagree with me you know i get a lot of people say oh no no you're talking about an old form of education that's long gone now the curriculum includes this it does in on paper but it doesn't in the classroom so i think that these are things that definitely need to be built in uh more than they are now but whilst we're developing that whole child and we're you know we're building their personality we do also need to be aware of the needs of the job market not in the corporate sense but in the product you know the world needs productive people 
not just to sit on the production line, but you know, there are problems that need solving. There are things that the world needs to function. And we need to make sure that, you know, to some degree, we're graduating children who will become adults who have the competencies that we all need. I need, uh, I don't know, I need police officers and I need doctors and I need, uh, you know, I want people to run restaurants so that I can go and I need actors. I mean, these are the things that we need for our life to, uh, and, and you'll notice that, you know, I'm talking about not just the high high levels like doctors and lawyers but you know i need taxi drivers i want bus drivers i want the world to have these things in it this is the world that we want to uh perpetuate and so we need to have as educators and as an education system we need to have some awareness of the competencies that broad spectrum of life requires and we need in some way to make sure that we're developing those into whatever this whole child is it needs to you know we need to be so we need to be quite acutely aware of the the work um, goal, yeah. I think. And, and I think, uh, and of course, we need many more teachers, which the one thing in this <laughs> yeah. country we're doing very good at at the moment is pushing teachers out of the profession. Yeah, that's it. Because of the stresses yeah. we're putting them under. And the, and the unreasonable, yeah, the, the unreasonable expectations we're, we're putting them under. And yeah. then the social issues of, well, what's the problem with being a teacher? You finish at three o'clock with the students, don't you? get you? summers so, off, you get six weeks <laughs> off in the summer. And, yeah. Yeah. yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, six weeks off, you have to do anything. Yeah, so, so, and I, I, I still think, I mean, if I, again we bring it bang up to date with the relevance, we're we're now asking people to spend more time at home if their mm -hmm. job allows it to be more remote working and mm -hmm. so on. Um, certainly, the company I happen to work for has made quite a big statement globally to all of its global workforce that they should consider, you know, between two and three days a week, or maybe all of the days a week, not coming into the office. Now, right. um, you know, from a business perspective, that helps reduce cost of businesses environmentally. There's less of a carbon yeah. footprint. With yeah. Yeah. so, there's lots of benefits to it, but it kind of again is changing the world of work because we're asking children to go into classrooms which we've discussed various problems with on here but then really if we're then they're looking up to i mean let's say the the the, the people who are be, being teenagers in this decade now they're seeing their parents work at home for more often so they're thinking surely well, well, why am i having to go into a fixed location to do this thing called education when my parents are making money yeah. at home and not having yeah. to leave the their home office much yeah. so i really think it, you know the, the the you know the approach that we can take now and this is where i think the the, the rebellious nature of how education is going to change is almost going to become um automatic's the wrong word but it's going to have to come is that we're, we're going to see that we can't send children back i mean they're going back at the moment in some cases mm -hmm. but when the parents are spending more time at home doing work um and when they're so you see their lives are going to change because whether they can take their kids to school or pick them up at the same time is going to change and yeah, 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 the, all, yeah. all of this is changing so we're gonna i think have to see a radical change in in the world of education i think going right back to what i opened my opening statement as it were was that all the teachers we talk to are already rebels in that we want to change the system and we don't agree that fixed exams are the best way to yeah, assess yeah, people yeah. and so on yeah yet because we're trying to hold on to that socially and in education yeah it's, it's a bit of a massive rhetorical question of how on earth do we take well we should be taking the opportunity to reshape society to retake the reshape the education system but if you and i are, are true or, or or have some truth in what we've said about 
socially we're trying to make the world go back a little bit to how it was knowing that we can't ever be that way again fully mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we're also doing the same with education how, how so I suppose the challenge for us as teachers and, and trainers and whatever how do we get those teachers that do want to rebel yeah and that do want to change it but are stuck in the world yeah. they are how do we bring yeah. them out of their shell <laughs> yeah i mean there's a couple of things that come to mind straight straight away that are you know the small enough changes that a teacher can has the flexibility to do them uh relatively privately right without raising too many uh <laughs> askant glances um but that they would be getting some results from so that then you know when the time comes you'd be able to say hey look at this thing i've been doing why can't we do more of this um and at the moment that does not unfortunately extend to the big questions like exams right so the exams are out of you know as a classroom teacher yeah. that's out of my control um and there are some things that i have to be cautious about as a classroom teacher as a you know a, a rebel teacher who wants to push these boundaries and try new things i do have to think of my students position where i could rebel against the exams but then my students would all fail their exams and and that would be my fault and, and you know, so, yeah. right. so there's an element there where I've, I've got to restrain some of my ideology because as long as the system is the way it is um i could push back against it but i wouldn't be the one that ends up suffering so there's there's some area there where we have to just be considerate um there are some things that we i mean the idea of sort of asynchronous learning and the, the the idea of the the learning space the classroom space i mean there's nothing to prevent you as a teacher when your students come into the classroom okay so let's say we all go back to school because the schools are open and the government says you've got to you know attend class okay but there's no reason why whilst you're in the class you still have to format it in that kind of lecture driven tape you know rows based you, there's nothing to say that you can't push the tables to the side and get the kids you know kind of sitting more freely uh remove the teacher from the front of the room and as a teacher position myself either in the midst of the the students or at the back of the classroom there's no reason that we can't get the kids to go out to the library or go out to the to the the playground the yard the, you know whatever uh, and and learn in more there's all of these things that you can do that are radical in the sense that it's different from the traditional model but it's not you're not breaking any rules right you can do a lot within the kind of the codified rules because they're really as rigid as they are they're so um they're so short-sighted they're quite easy to get around so well look we're in school we're here in the right hours we're doing the but we don't need to be all sitting facing one way watching the teacher explain something on the whiteboard uh for a you know the the, the for a score i don't need to give a quiz every time i want to get a score okay i have to <laughs> I, I would like to get rid of scores and again i think we can probably have a good uh podcast in the future where we just talk about grades and scores i would like to get rid of grades and scores but i can't because if i stop giving my students grades and scores then they're going to suffer but i don't have to get those scores from a from a multiple choice quiz i can get those scores from wherever i choose and so there's a lot of room i think there's a bit there's a big education program there explaining to the outside world why in my view qualitative data is much more rich but again yeah. as you rightly say we're kind of stuck with that well if you don't have a b you can't come in here so right. uh, what does it matter whether you've got a, a 300 word um testimonial from your teacher saying what a wonderful right. person you are right. i need that b so yeah we've got a challenge there i think interesting as well you you, you um i want to pick up on 
something you said there, which has challenged something I've said during this call. Uh, when you're saying actually about whether the teacher's here or here and how they interact with the classroom. Um, it reminds me of that wonderful debate that, you know, is a teacher really a teacher or should they be a facilitator? But let's park that for now um, because that's a lot a longer conversation. What I think is interesting is here I am saying, well, let's relegate to the system and look at how people work from home and look at how we do more stuff online. Yeah, what are we doing online? We're still having a group of people come together. Right. We're right. still having one person as the teacher leading it. We're, we're, we're making sure that the apps we use, like Zoom and uh, others, have breakout rooms because we do breakout sessions in a classroom. So here I am saying, let's rebel against the system and use this new technology. When all we've done is design the technology and we want Around, to use yeah, the course, technology yeah. the yeah. way we already operate in the physical classroom. Yeah. So there's a disconnect there, isn't there, in saying... But again, I think there are, as yeah. I said, you know, there are some benefits, there are things like I mentioned before, some of the reasons I want to get back to the classroom, because there are things that I think benefit from that. But as, I, as you, you've pushed me back on that, and I've, I certainly, I think I've, you've, you've nudged me farther along. Um, but for me, a lot of that is just about how good is the technology, because I think there are things that we get from being in the classroom that I don't want to lose, the collaboration and various other things. But as long as the technology... Of the well, say, I mean, I, I think that, as I, I do, I still think that being in a room with other people physically, uh, the, the flow of, of communication and collaboration is, I think, easier to achieve. But that's only really a case of, well, how good can the technology get? If the technology can overcome what I think interrupts or, or, or um, hinders that flow of co collaboration, um, as long as the technology can continue to increase, um, then less and less will we need to be in the classroom to achieve well, the things that I think the classroom is good for. Would you and I, actually you've cleverly, I was going to say, would you and I have had a better debate face to face, but you've cleverly kind of pushed that away because you've already said you think two works well. Yeah, I just... More than two. So, yeah. uh, I mean, I suppose there's a question why, but if there was a third person here, and I know I'm now trying to do mm -hmm, a hypothetical, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. if there was a third person here, I, I, I can't see, and I appreciate the answer, the simple answer is, well, we'd have to do it and see. I can't yeah. see what we'd majorly lose and how we would have any less of a quality yeah i mean i think i even though I, that's the position i'm holding i think i probably will find it difficult to really nail down in black and white terms of but course, having having had the experience of so i've done webinars where you've got anything between 40 and a, a few hundred people on a video conference, uh, which means it is just me speaking while people listen. It's, it could be a YouTube video. To, I, it doesn't. How did that see, of you? <laughs> it was, you know, I, it was, it was something I didn't enjoy doing, and I, I don't really want to do again. Um, I, a number of the events that I would have done live moved online, and I, you know, the the, the event organizer said, "Oh, we're doing it online now." Yeah, sure, okay. Didn't enjoy it. Don't want to do it again. Um, but I've also had the experience of doing training programs where it's four, five, six people. Um, and there I have found that it's just not quite the same. It's just not quite as fluid online as it is in the classroom. However, what I will, I can't speak to, but I can assume if that, you know, my courses, that the courses that I do at the moment, they're sort of four week courses. Um, and definitely there's, there's already more, um, of this kind of social fluency 
by the end of the four weeks than there is at the beginning of the four weeks. So uh, it might just be the case that we all just need to get more used to Define what it's like to be online. fluency, sorry, well, how do you... Just this idea of, uh, as I said, a conversation or, or a collaborative uh, group in the classroom or in a room, you, you put five people in a room together in a physical space where they're sharing that physical space, there's a closeness and ask them to collaborate, ask them to uh, communicate and, and have a conversation. Uh, that versus trying to achieve the same thing through a five-way Zoom call, for example. Uh, okay, five people, I want you to, essentially you have a goal, I want you to achieve this goal, you know, build this thing, do this thing, whatever. There are five people, in a space together or five people online from different places, the flow of communication, my, in my experience, is, is somewhat hindered. It's somewhat less fluid, somewhat less, um, you know, somewhat less smooth online than it is when they're in a physical space. It doesn't have to be a classroom. It can be five people in a, in a bar, you know, but, I suspect that that might just be because people haven't got used to doing it online yet. Um, yeah, so maybe, yeah, yeah there's an Would you not say though that is it not the same online as it is in person in the fundamentals that at the start nobody really talks to each other? Yeah, definitely, you? definitely. Then the few people who uh, you know speak for myself, the few people have a big mouth can start to talk a bit more confidently. Then by the tea break as we would have traditionally that, you know, they will talk a bit more and when they come back and then by the end of the first day, they're all talking to each other yeah. and asking about their family. So, so, I mean, I think the fundamentals are perhaps- Yeah, I mean, just even, even something like, let's use the breakout rooms as an example. I love the breakout room feature that, that Zoom has and some of the others have. Um, so if I'm in a classroom and I've got say 10, 10 students in a classroom, um, there will be times where I am the teacher and I'll stand up and, you know, share something with the students. I'll tell them, you know, I'll, I'll explain something to them. Uh, the, as much as I endorse and promote student-centered learning, um, I do think that there is a place for the teacher to be standing in front of students. I, I'm going to, you know, stick to that. Um, but then I might say, okay, uh, after this couple of minute period where I'm standing at the front of the room, then I'll put them into groups and go, okay, so I want you to get into three groups or whatever, and they'll do that, and then they'll work in their groups. Now you can do that with breakout rooms, but uh with breakout rooms it's okay now just wait a minute while i click on these buttons and you know there's, there's just a there's just a um it's less fluid because of the yeah, but that could just i think that's just a case of well the technology will continue to improve and we'll continue to get I, more skilled at it so maybe it's just the fact that we need to learn how to do that better I, I would agree, but I, I've, I've experienced that, how would I explain it, that kind of staccato approach to breakouts in that, you know, I've gone, right, okay, the classic, right, you've all got a flip chart pad and three different colour pens, I want you to do this as this. And then one of the groups says, oh, Lee, I haven't got a blue pen, or Lee, I haven't got a flip chart pad, so I've got to run out, I've got to stop, I've got to fiddle around. So the, the, the sort of the vagaries are still there, they're yeah. just... I mean, even that, you know, even that, so, so just, just, just there, so say we're online, or let's say we're in the classroom, and the student says, oh, just for argument's sake, my pen's run out, right? Whatever, just something like, oh, my pen's run out, my pencil's broken. If I'm there, I mean, this is a really, this is a really trivial example, but I think it carries some weight. You know, if I'm there, if we've got 10 people in a room, and one of the kids says, one of the students says, my pen's run out, then one of the other nine people will say, oh, you can borrow mine. 
And if you're in a room, just, just as a really trivial example, if I'm here and I've got a pen and it runs out and I don't have another pen and I also don't have 10 other people who could, you know, it's just something like that. There's, it seems to me there's a benefit to, that's a really right. trivial example that just no, comes to mind. But know. nobody else online can click your button for you. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, I think, so yeah. I, I, I don't think that's a good enough reason to say, oh, we must go back to school in case somebody's pen runs out. I mean, <laughs> granted, but you know, I think there's something to this idea of uh, a pooled resource, a shared space. Um, you know, you can all be looking at a PDF or a document or something on your respective laptops, right? So we can, the idea of shared reading can still be done, but if you're all in the classroom, then it's, it's just easier for you to go, oh, look at this bit and to point at a bit of the page where, you know, where we're all there together and we can all, we can very quickly all draw the entire group's attention to one thing and say, you know, look at me, look at this. You can point to something, all of these things you can't quite do in the same way. So collaborate, if you're all collaborating, I just think there's a, a you know, the online platform adds a certain barrier between the, you know, to the, to the flow of work or the flow of collaboration, let's say, um, where I'd say if it's a case of, you know, just sharing something, sharing an idea. It's quicker perhaps for me to just kind of point to something than it is for me to have to upload it and send it in to you. Again, the technology can improve and all of that can lubricate as the technology improves. I just, I just feel like maybe right now we're not quite there yet where the technology is absolutely facilitated. But, but, but there are massive benefits to the technology that you don't get yeah. from the classroom. So I'm not saying, I'm absolutely not saying I want to go back to the way things were. What, definitely not. Well, we, are, yeah, we I, I think there are some benefits to the to to the classroom. But I think, but I think it's things. interesting because we we've you're right that we haven't quite got there yet and we haven't learned how to do it properly. But that's because we've only had six months doing it, really. Yeah, definitely. definitely. Uh, or, yeah. or, or, or less, because there was that lull at the start. We didn't know where it was. I, I remember speaking to people in May going, oh, we'll be back to normal on the 1st of June. Um, yeah, yeah. So see how that turned out. So, and I think, yeah, it's, it's interesting, though, because if I just sort of think of the approach of rebelliousness, rebel teacher network and you rightly say that we all do little rebellious things in our day and mm. our week and mm -hmm. our month and we slip them in without some people noticing sometimes mm. that might be ourselves that don't notice and we do yeah. things like yeah. Yeah. i get all that but at the same time we, we've with slight differences on approach and, and i may think that the online world uh, you know isn't actually as different and it hasn't limited our social contact as much as we think that will be, of course, be the subject of much research to come, which yeah, will be yeah, fascinating to see certainly. over the next five, ten years. But with all of that in mind, we've generally agreed that, of course, there's a benefit to the classroom and, of course, there's a benefit to the in-person interaction. And, and I think one could argue that, that the thing that you feel, the gut feel, that you're explaining something to somebody and they're going, yeah, yeah, I get it. But and when you're stood next to them, there's almost that sixth sense of you feel that they're not really getting it. So you want and you can't quite pick that up. And yeah. what we're what we're doing, however, without any uh, negative reason, is we're kind of arguing, though, that the classroom works quite well, which we can agree on. And there's benefits to it. So what are we actually rebel rebelling against? What what is it we want to? Oh, yeah, well, I say, I mean, I, I think it's important. Really I think it's important when I when I talk about when I talk about rebellion, um, you know, I mean, in that in the article that, that I read on, on the last episode, you know, one of the things that I um, referred to was was the distinction as I draw them between rebellion and revolution. Um, okay. So I think, you know, I'm calling for something quite different in a rebellion than a revolution, where a revolution is raise it to the ground, right? Now, 
I don't necessarily think that everything has to go. Um, I, I think that radical change is, ne is, ne is necessary, but I, I think that there are things that are good. There are things that work, um, but they are shrouded in so many things that don't work um, that you know, we're, we're losing a lot of the benefit that we could be having in the way school is now. I think that you know, when we're talking about the way school is now, the physical classroom is only one part of that. You know, we're talking about curriculum, yeah. we're talking about teacher development, we're talking about yeah. assessment and examination, all of these things that make up the system. The physical classroom is one part of it and that's been the focus of our conversation today. I think there's a lot of other things we can come to in, in future conversations yeah. or look at other aspects of the system. The physical classroom is one of those aspects. And so rebelling in, in the context of the physical classroom could just, you know, be as much every, can you still hear me? I think my mic's gone. Yeah. Uh, could just be as much as getting out of the classroom occasionally, go to the library, go outside, take students from two classrooms and put them together. Uh, various things that, uh, even that's still happening sort of in the context of the physical classroom. Um, so it's just, you know, the the case that you get in the most traditional of schools at the moment is just really kind of rigid um, in the bell rings, it's period one, and that means you have to be sitting in this chair in this room with this teacher for 90 minutes. Um, that's the, the, the model. So how much of that do we want to keep and how much of that do we want to change? And we might want to change all of it. We might want to drop the entire thing or we might see some nuggets of value in that um, uh, that we want to keep while we try to do something new. And if, if, if one teacher decides, um, okay, instead of that, I'm just going to take the kids outside or take the students outside and they can work in the, in the playground. As long as it's sunny, we can go outside and they can, or, you know, instead of everybody sitting at their table, uh, if you want to sit on the floor, you know, I just like to let my students sit where they want to sit. For example, you know, if they want to move their chair somewhere, if they want to sit in the corner, if they want to sit on the floor, um, if they want to push their tables together, or pull, I'm happy to let them do that. Now that sounds perhaps insignificant, but it's enough of a rebellion, I think in terms of, well, when I'm doing that in one of my schools, and granted here in Indonesia, the schools I'm working in are generally perhaps even more formal than some of the schools that, that you'll be working around in, in, uh, in the UK. But when I'm in a school and I'm doing that, I'm the only teacher doing that in the only classroom that that's happening out of you know, 50 other classrooms. So that is enough of a break from the norm that the students are having a different experience in my classroom and they're getting a benefit in my classroom and they're not getting in other classrooms. And for, you know, so something small like that. And then what I found is, you know, the students enjoy being in my classroom, in my lessons more than they enjoy being in the next teachers. And so the, the students get on board with it and then they start to take some of their behavior that they're picking up in my classroom and you see them starting to do it in other classrooms and some of the teachers will not like it and some of the teachers will push back against it and they'll reprimand the students for, uh, uh, but eventually you know if there's 50 teachers in a school a small handful of those will start to see what i'm doing either because they see me doing it or because they get some kind of feedback from the from the students and they'll start to change as well and you start to see this change kind of rippling throughout the institution um, in a in a in a meaningful way um, and that's perhaps perhaps enough that something is happening yeah. that is benefiting the students. I, I absolutely agree. And, I, and, and I'm just trying to sort of pull some threads together about what we've, we've been talking about. 
here, and I agree with you, there's so many uh, jumping off points that we, we could launch into, and hopefully so in, in, in future conversations. You know, major problems I have, you know, I, I, I would like to see the end of league tables. I, I would like to see the end, well, <laughs> a change to, or preferably the scrapping of our inspection system, Ofsted, and create mm -hmm. a new body that does look at the teaching practice, but also considers the well-being of mm -hmm. both students and the teachers. Quite a radical thing for, for Ofsted to consider. So we've got so many different things of it, but I think examinations in many, most, you know, there's a place for them, but in most cases, they're not fit for purpose. I think that the way that we structure um, the uh, hierarchy, stratifying all the different uh, you know, levels, uh, classes one to five of maths yep. and one to five of yep. English right. based on yep. some nebulous idea of talent or skill that nobody can, can prove that they've scored. The, the idea of, you know, the league tables and the inspection system and the examinations and all of the, how universities work and, and so on. And all of that, I think, is, is needing change. The thing mm. is, though, they are all such, as really we've talked about here, such fundamental parts of the system that if you were to remove or attack one of them, the rest of them all rely on it. So, for example, you couldn't just change the inspection system without changing how exams work. But if you change yeah. exams or get rid of a number of them, you couldn't have league tables. If you don't have league tables that in this country, that eliminates the ability for government to work out funding. And so, so I think is the problem we've got, I suppose mainly for, for me as a, as a final thought for this particular uh, 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 talk, is are all of those things which a lot of the people you and I talk about, a lot of the teachers I talk to, would like to see the end of, or at least a radical shake-up, are they such fundamental core principles of the education system we have that do we have to somehow accept they're not going to change and therefore all we can do, not negating the importance of it at all and the kind of things you've been talking about, are we limited to the kind of things you've done and lots of other teachers do of playing around in the existing system, believing that really we can't change the system itself? Do we have to do we have to accept that? Yeah, I think uh, I certainly hope not. Um, and I think that there's, you know, there's a lot of there's maybe a, a number of pillars that we've kind of referred to there, examinations and, and various other things that uh, might warrant some, you know, examination uh, in 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 yeah right. in their own separate uh, conversations yeah. and i think we can have you know yeah. lengthy conversation about each of them um and see what the limitations are in each in each area um but i think that i think that they can be attacked separately um and i think that you might find that there are limits in each area so for you know you can you can do more and more about how you approach examinations within the uh yeah. The, the the current system but at some point well the kid has to sit the exam okay so there's a limit there um but i think you i think there's more room than a lot of teachers feel there is i think that's the first thing to, to yes. point out. i mean yeah. is that i know i do more than a lot of the teachers that that i work with and even the teachers that i talk with online who are you know located globally um because they feel that they can't i know i do more than than most not because there's anything special about me but because this is what i've chosen to do i mean you know the fact that's why i've started the podcast that's why i'm starting the network i am somebody who's kind of active in this area um and so i am some form of evidence that you can do more than you're probably doing now 
right? Not to denigrate anybody who's not, but it's just, I, I think you can get away with more than you think. You can do more than you think. And small changes can have bigger impacts on the students than you think. So getting started, uh, taking those first smaller steps, I think is important and realizing that you can do more than you might feel like you can do. Uh, teachers often feel very, very stifled in their, in their institutions. They feel like they can do nothing different. And I think you can do more than is realized. And then I think that once more teachers realize that, the, mm. I think there will be a snowballing effect. I just think that we, it's so hard to believe that that could be the case, that, well, why bother starting? But if you can just bother to start, then I think some motion can be picked up. And we might find a brick wall, but if we get enough speed, maybe we can break through the brick wall. Who knows? Yeah, you know? yeah. And the, and the, yeah exactly. The more people you have, without wanting to abuse the metaphor, the easier the wall will go down. And, right, right, but right. I just think, you know, we, we've touched briefly on earlier in this call, you know, the civil rights movements that, are, that have gone right. on before us and now and, and more power to them. Uh, you know, the, the, the trade unions that right. have struggled for years, it's actually the people within the profession itself that empower mm -hmm. each other in order to yeah. make that change. Isn't it? So, so I suppose what a wonderful inspirational message that is to all of the teachers that, you know, we need to challenge each other and by challenging each other, we'll improve our own practice, but we need to challenge each other to yeah. challenge the system as a whole, because right. the more people that sit back um, and say, well, actually, I can't really change it. Um, well, of course, you're not going to change it because you've already decided that you can't. Exactly so right. yeah. I think yeah. it is very much about empowering each other and making sure that we can do that. And little changes, as you rightly say, um, in your own practice will not only help improve your practice and yeah. improve the outcomes of your learners, um, but, but collectively that will give you a sense yeah. of well actually i thought i could do this but today i've made yeah. this change and i've done yeah. something differently and yeah. yeah so definitely about empowering each other but i am sure you will tell everyone rightly so that's what the whole purpose of the network is exactly right and also i mean just to close there then um there's there's a lot of kind of grandiosity around that and i believe in it uh, that's yeah. why i'm I starting do. the network as you say you know that i wouldn't have bothered if i didn't together, think yeah. um so I'm, I'm hoping that you know we can get more and more people engaged with this network and, and, and spanning out of it. Um, but also, even without, you know, setting our sights on those high lofty goals, um, it's also, I think, very important as we close here to just leave with the, the reminder that if you as one teacher make one of those small changes that means you're doing a better job as a teacher and you're providing some benefit to the students in your classroom, if the student doesn't nudge one inch, then at least the 20 or 30 kids in your classroom are getting something better out of it. And they're gonna, you know, their experience is gonna be better than if you didn't make that change. And if that's the only thing that comes of it, well then something has come of it. And for those 30 kids, and you know, if you teach 30 kids in one grade and you've got X grades a year, you know, one teacher, I think potentially in, in, in a career, if you're a career teacher and you're teaching for, 10, 20, 30 years, um, then you potentially interact with, you know, several thousand students throughout your career. And I don't think it's uh, insignificant to say that if you can improve the outcomes of education for a thousand children, um, then I don't think that's, that's insignificant, right? Absolutely, absolutely. All right, so I think that's a, a good positive yeah. place to end. Uh, right. And uh, hopefully there'll be more of this to come. Um, and uh, yeah, thanks a lot, Lee, for, for, Power for doing to the this teachers. with me. Indeed. Power to the students. 
Yes. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think that's, that's the other thing is, it, you know, I, I work with teachers and I talk a lot about teachers and I, I'm trying, but why? Well, because it's the students, it's the end goal, right? The, the more we that's do with we teachers. Bed, exactly right. Exactly yeah, right. Absolutely. All right. Brilliant. Well, uh, thank you. Yeah. Anybody who's watching this, I uh, 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 hope you'll be back with us uh, when we do this next time. And uh, please uh, like and subscribe to the YouTube channel that you're watching this on. Um, and uh, there's going to be a lot of, uh, a lot of developments in the future, I think, um, that will be valuable for, for anybody, any teachers who are watching. Uh, thanks a lot, Lee. And, yeah, thank uh, you. Yeah, speak to you again soon.